0: and they'll collect the offerings. Have any of you ever been on a tour of the White House? Would you raise a hand? Okay. I think about uh, 10 years ago, I was able to go with a group of students uh, through the White House on a trip that we took, a senior trip here to Washington, D.C., and as we were making our way through the through the White House, we came to a hallway that uh, led down and, and the lights were on, but there was a velvet rope right there. And um, I asked the tour guide, being the funny person I am, uh, I asked the tour guide, hey, can we just go down this direction? And he looked at me and he said, uh, no. And so my response was, yeah, but hey, I know the president. Like who doesn't know who the president is, right? Like I know, I, I know the president. At that time was President Obama. And he looked at me and he smiled and he's like, yeah, you might know the president, but I'll tell you something, the president doesn't know you. Because <laughs> if he did, you'd be on a different tour. <laughs> it, was, it was really uh, comical. And my brother, uh, I have three brothers. My, my next closest brother's name is Ron and he lives out in California. And he's the president of the a Southern California news group, which is just a large conglomeration of about 30 different newspapers, publications of the largest cities on the Southern California coast. And because he's the president, he gets access to a lot of really cool stuff. And I've gotten to be a part of some of that. And our, our family has too. Like, I, like in 2012, I was in a, a suite in the Staples Center watching the Los Angeles Kings win the Stanley Cup. It was so cool. Um, our family, we've been to a Dodgers game sitting on the front row coming out of the tunnel from behind a home plate. Uh, we, the, boy, the boys and I, last time we were there, Ron took us to a, an Anaheim Angels game. And how about it? We had a steak and seafood buffet before we went to sit in our beautiful box seats uh, overlooking the field. And it was so cool. Um, my favorite, though, Tom, you'd appreciate this, is a couple of years ago, uh, Ron. Got tickets, four tickets to the, uh, to the Rose Bowl game, which at that, that year was the national championship between Florida State and Auburn. And I sat four rows up off the Rose Bowl field getting to watch all of this. It's, it's pretty amazing. Now, how did I get into all those places? Well, because I knew the president of the Southern California News Group? Nope, because a lot of people know him. I got in because he knows me. And therefore, there was a relationship that provided access and privilege. See, access and privilege are not granted because you know someone in authority. They're granted because someone in authority knows you. And that's what we're going to get a chance to talk about today in the book of Galatians. Now, if you're with us for the first time or maybe the first time in a long time, we've been working our way through Paul's letter to the Galatians. And because these next couple of weeks, I'm going to be preaching every other Sunday because like next week we have Pastor Micah here. I'm so excited that he'll be with us next Sunday. Uh, But then I'll be preaching the following week. And so it's it's every other week for a few weeks here. I want to make sure that uh, maybe if somebody missed a week, it's going to be a month since they would have heard um, anything about Galatians. So give me just a moment to, to back up and tell you where we're at. In Galatians chapter 1, Paul introduces his reason for writing the letter. Basically, there's some Judaizers who had infiltrated the church and were trying to cause these new believers to to think that faith in Jesus is important, but it's not enough. You must keep the Jewish law. In chapter two, Paul takes time to explain how sinners are made right with God, or he will use the word justified, and we're justified not by works of the law, but only through faith in God. And then in chapter three, he's gonna he's gonna build his case on that by using three people: Abraham, the father of the Jews, and he's gonna say, look at Abraham's life. He was made right with God, he was justified before the law was even created. And he was justified through his faith. He's going to talk to Moses about Moses. He's going to say, Moses is the one who brought the law to you. But Moses himself, when he brought the law, he said, hey, if you're going to use the law as justification, you better keep every single law. And if you don't, you're under a curse. We can't keep the law. So we're under that curse. Paul was making it very clear. Then he turned to Jesus. He said, you, you look at the father of the Jews, you look at the hero of the Jews in Moses, and now we're going to look at the Messiah of the Jews. The Messiah was sent, because you were under the curse of the law, he was sent to actually take you out and redeem you from the curse. How? Well, by becoming the curse for you. And then he from, from the end of chapter three into chapter four, which we were at a few weeks ago, Paul explains the purpose of the law. If the law was given and the law can't make me right with God, then what's the purpose of the law? And as we got into a few weeks ago, Paul said, hey, the law has now completed its purpose. And this is the illustration he used. If you could think of, a, of an adult man having a baby... And back in those days that the father would not necessarily be involved in the raising of the son on a day-to-day level, he would give a servant or a slave that authority. It was called in the Greek a pedagogue, and he would say, just as a father puts a child under the authority of a pedagogue until the child is grown old enough to where he does no longer needs this authority, he has now stepped in and he's taken his rightful place as a son and as an heir. He said that's what the law was meant to do. The law was a pedagogue. It was meant to show you you needed a deliverer, and I would provide one in the Messiah. And the law was also meant to protect you until that deliverer came. Because sin was infiltrating people's lives, and the law was meant to keep sin out of the lives of Israel until the Messiah would come. But once the Messiah came, Israel's day of completion had finally come. The Messiah had changed everything. Those who were slaves to the law were now sons of God. And if you remember how he ended two weeks ago, Paul said, and that means you get to call God Abba father so beautiful so that's what we're gonna gonna go into today as we begin in chapter number four verse number eight of galatians chapter number four and verse number eight now jonathan John, jonathan i'm gonna keep you on your toes because i'm gonna read like half of a verse and then stop and then half of a verse and stop so just so you know galatians chapter four verse eight the bible says this formerly When you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, let me stop right there. Because what Paul's offering here is two contrasts. You didn't know God. And when you didn't know God, you were slaves. And he uses the term by those who are not by nature, not gods. So so think with me. Paul is talking to a group of people who are pagan idol worshipers. They were enslaved to these things, these idols, and they were not gods, but they would still sacrifice to them. They would still bring their offerings to them. They would still live in such a way where they're trying to appease these gods who were not gods, and they were enslaved to them. But he says, but now that you know God, right? So he's he's gonna offer a contrast. You didn't know God, and you were slaves to those who were not gods, but he goes on and says, now that you... I'm sorry, now that you know God or rather are known by God. And we'll come back to that a little bit later today because I think that's the key right there. But now that you know God or, are not, or rather are known by God, how is it, so think with me what Paul's asking, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? Whoa, okay, time out. Like, let's think with me. Paul's saying to these pagan idol, pagan idol worshipers previous, you were enslaved to these idols, but now that's because you didn't know God. But now that you know God, are you wanting to go back to slavery again? But notice the enslavery Paul talks about. Look at the last verse. Look at the, look at the verse 10. You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. If I can just tell you, that's shorthand for Judaism. So I hope that you can understand where we're built, because we've got to build this case of understanding what Paul's writing. He's saying, listen, you you were slaves to those who were not gods, but now that you know God, why? Why are you returning to slavery again? But here's the thing we have to understand. If we're not paying attention, we could pull this out of context and think what Paul's saying is you were you were in sin idol-worshipping pagans, you now know God, but you're returning to those idol-worshipping pagan people you were before. But that's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying you were an idol-worshipping pagan, but you've come to know God, but yet even though you know the true God, you have stepped into a different form of slavery, and that slavery is religion. That's, that's interesting. We can be enslaved even though we know the true God. We can be enslaved by religion. Oh, yeah. let I mean, just, just think, think of how many people in this world, they don't know God at all. We, we wouldn't necessarily call them pagan idol worshipers, but that's really at their heart what they are. They're worshiping primarily themselves, looking to, to live a life to only please themselves. Their, their days are for entertainment and for career advancement, also, that they could gain more. They're, they spend their money on whatever they want to consume. Are they enslaved? I mean, like, they don't even know God. Are they enslaved? Well, certainly they're enslaved. They're, they're not only enslaved by sin, as Romans 6 would tell us, but they're enslaved by comparison. I've got to have what that person has. I've got to go get, I've got to have the next promotion. I've got to have the next advancement. I've got to have the next cool thing. That is an enslavement mentality I've got to go after. Well, let's compare it to someone who's, who knows God. They know that Jesus Christ gave his life on this cross and they, they understand that he has, he is the one that has brought redemption to them. And as they know the true God and yet they, they bear with me because I, I don't I don't think I'm talking about any of you but but people who came to church today even though they didn't want to come but they came because well they have they have an image to uphold really we when we stand and sing we we sing the songs although the this I would rather choose songs that I'm more familiar with even though you know it's obvious that man many people were blessed today by the singing but like I'd rather have my own songs the offering plates are passed and it's like, I'll, I'll put some money in because I know I'm supposed to, but I really don't want to. I want to go, I, I want to I make this about me. And yet, yet this idea of religion has enslaved many people who know the, the true God. And So if we're enslaved by not knowing God and we can be enslaved by knowing God, how do we find true Freedom. I really believe it's in in realizing the satisfying treasure and complete fulfillment that God has given to his people in his son, Jesus Christ. And in recognizing all that Jesus has offered to us through his sacrificial life, death, resurrection, and ascension. You see, what Jesus has given to us is access to God as a father, we do not have to be slaves to religion. Jesus has given us access to God as a father. So I think that's why Paul says what he does in the very next verse, because look at verse 11. These are harsh words, I think. I fear for you, Paul says. That somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. Could, could, could you imagine, just for a moment, a pastor getting up and talking to a congregation and saying, you know what, Pfft, I've wasted my time with you. But you know why Paul was saying that? He was saying that because he's viewing these people who have been introduced to God through the person of Jesus and yet their their desire is to go back into enslavement and they've seen the true God but they don't recognize God as a father. They recognize God as a slave master. And he said, I'm wasting my time if you're going to look at God as a slave master. That's not who he is. He is a father who loves you. Because look what he says next. He says, I plead with you, brothers and sisters. Become like me, for I became like you. Now, what does Paul mean? He, he's, he's saying, I, I was a Jew, but I became like you as Gentiles. I abandoned religion in order to show you it's about a relationship. It's not about fulfilling all these tasks and duties that, that you think that the law makes you right with God. It's about a relationship. And Paul even says it so clearly in Philippians 2. He talks about his pedigree of being a Jew of the Jew and a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And he said, yet I count it all but dung. I count it all but, but loss so that I could know Christ. That relationship, not religion. And then Paul goes, on, oh, Paul goes on to say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. He says, he said, after he says, I plead with you, he says, you did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Some people will say that Paul had malaria. When he first got to Galatia and they helped him, uh, we do know he had a physical ailment of his eyes, which we'll get to in just a moment. But he says, you did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. I wonder how many people could, step, could say that they stepped into the hallways of Mount Carmel and, and walked into this auditorium. And by the time they left, they were so smothered with love and compassion and care and prayer that when they left, they said,
1: man,
0: they treated me like I was Jesus. But why don't we? Why don't we find somebody who who walks in those doors for the very first time and and instead of continuing our conversation, say, excuse me, I'll get to talk to you next Sunday and I know I will. Let me just go welcome this new brother or sister that I've never seen before. And let me see what what can we do? How can I pray for you? What do you need? Yeah, I think that the world sometimes with the charity, charitable events, man, I mean, like you look at what happened with the hurricane, and immediately the world was in motion helping people. Where's the church? Yeah, I think sometimes we become so focused on the needs of our families that we fail to see outside. I've been in church, I'm 47 years old, so I've been in church for 47 years, and when I was young, can I just tell you what I saw in the church? And this is not meant to be a criticism, it's just, I'm just telling you the way it is. I saw men work two and three jobs so that they could be a part of full-time Christian service, and I saw them neglect their families. I'm just being honest with you. And I can say that because I'm one of them. When I started teaching at a Christian school, I had made $630 every, twice a month. I couldn't sustain that. And so I was, I I knew painting, and so I worked as a painter. I worked at least 20 hours a week, and Jamie and I, after Troy was born, I would, I would go to teach at the school, and I would coach uh, uh, my wrestling team, and then I would, would go, and I would have to work four to five hours that evening, and I'd come home, and Troy's already in bed, and Jamie's wiped out, and I get home, but why did I do that? Well, because I was committed to, to the ministry, Saturdays were days that were completely filled with ministry for most of the time. Sundays were days filled completely completely with ministry. And I saw this pendulum that was way over here. And we saw kid after kid after kid after kid say, I don't want that for my family. I actually want to be present with my children. But in some ways, we've seen that pendulum go from way over here to saying, all ministry, little family time, just come over here to say, I'm going to spend so much time with my family that I'm not going to help anybody else. And I I would encourage you. I really believe that there's there's a balance that we can find. And I think that balance is found in bringing your family into the ministry and being able to serve God together. That's why I think something like this Trunk or Treat is so valuable. You moms and dads can take your children and sit with them and say, there's something bigger than just you going out and getting candy. We're going to give candy to other kids. We're going to do it as a family. We're going to have fun decorating this car. We're going to go out and we're going to, we're going to buy some gifts for this this, uh, this, this shoebox thing. We're going to do it together as a family. That's ministry and that's family, but it's together. But Paul is saying, you cared for me unlike I have ever been cared for. And that, that takes me back to Jesus' own words in Matthew 25 when he said, when I was hungry, you fed me. Gave me drink, And they're like, when did we ever do that? And he said, when you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. Do you want a chance to, to help Jesus this week? Oh, I promise you, if you open your eyes and look, God's going to give you that to you. There is going to be someone in need that you will see, and God is going to give you an opportunity to step into that need. And guess what? You get to care for them just like Jesus. that happened this week with, with my wife. I, and I don't, I don't want to even talk about it because I feel like it's self-serving, but it was so see, Jamie, see someone in need and, and step into that need and, and say, how can I help you? And make sure that that need was cared for. And so many of you do that. But I just had that front row seat this week. Our families, church, our families need to see us making much of helping other people. And Paul says next in verse 15. He says, where then is your blessing of me now? Remember, he said, you, you, you treated me like Jesus. Where then is your blessing of me now? In the New Living Translation, this maybe this helps instead of the word blessing, it translated those words joyful and grateful spirit. So think through that. Paul's saying, you, you treated me like I was Jesus when I was with you. Where then is that joyful and grateful spirit now? He says, I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me.
1: Oh, oh.
0: Could you imagine how Paul must have felt if he really believed that the people in in Galatia that he was ministering to loved him so desperately and they knew he had a physical ailment with his eyes that if they knew it would have helped him, they would have taken their own eye out and given it to him. That's incredible love. But then notice this question he asks. In verse 16, have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Man, is that not human nature? Man, when our true motives and our our true hearts and our true self centeredness is exposed by someone's words. Or exposed by someone's life, immediately we go into defense mode and become enemies. It's just, all you gotta do is look at social media. All you really have to do is look in your own home, spouses. When when your spouse points out a true deficiency in your life, what's the first thing we do? We wanna attack as if they're enemies. Parents and children would do the same thing when the kids point out, hey, mom or dad, you're being a bit hypocritical here. Or, or, or when, when mom and dad point out to the child, no, no, you need to understand there's honor and obedience that is expected here. Well, immediately it's a defense system and it's attacked. As if, as if those we truly loved have become enemies. But that's not easy because sometimes when people tell you the truth, they know the risk they're taking. I Had a very dear friend this week reach out to me, and 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 I normally don't talk about marriages over the phone, but he had a really bad, he had a really he was, he was there was a struggle this week, and I talked to him and I listened to him, and I knew what I wanted to say, but I didn't want to say it. I knew I wanted to tell him you are being very selfish in this in this place in your marriage. I wanted to say that, but he's my friend, and so I didn't want to hurt feelings. And finally, I just said, may I have your permission to step over a line? You're not asking me to step. And he said, sure. And I told him, and I know it stung because of what he said next. But by the conversation was over, he was thanking me for saying, thanks, thanks for pointing that out. I, I needed to see that. You see, we, we're in a culture today where no one can ever be wrong. We're expected to lie to someone to make them feel better about themselves because of this truth right here. When we start to tell the truth to people, the defense and the attack starts and we become enemies when before they're loved. But we have to understand that we're called as a church, we're called as believers to speak the truth. But don't forget, in love. And finally, Paul says in these these last few verses, verse 17, he's talking about the Judaizers. He says, those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. It's fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I am with you. Paul's basically saying, these people just want you on their side. They're trying to pull you away from me because it's, it's gonna help their cause. They're, they're gonna feel validated if you go to their side. And he said, man, it's fine to be zealous if you're zealous for a good thing. And if you are, commit to it. But then notice Paul's heart in these final verses that we'll be at today. My dear Children. Mm. You remember what he just said. Like, am I your enemy? He felt this at odds with them. You treated me like this. Now you're treating me like this. But he says, my, my dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, Uh, How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. I I want to be with you because I want to talk to you. I want to to change my tone. I just called you foolish Galatians at the beginning of chapter 3. I called you foolish, and I don't want to do that, but I am so confused by how you're acting. I've told you the truth And it's as if you you want to go back to this enslavement. And he said, oh, my heart's desire. I am going through the pains of childbirth. And he's a man. He doesn't know the pains of childbirth. He's probably just thinking the most excruciating pain that anybody could go through. That's how I feel when I see what you're doing. Oh, I so desperately want Christ to be formed in you. How is Christ formed in us? I told you the truth about who Jesus was. I told you how he redeemed you from the curse, and yet you're walking right back into another form of slavery. Christ needs to be formed in you, and we ask, how how is Christ formed in us? We have to ask, well, what is Christ? Who is he? And Philippians 2, I think, is one of the most helpful passages. As Paul writes what was a a beautiful poem back in those days, and they would sing this regularly. And he starts it all off by saying, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then he describes the mind of Christ. Let me just read it to you in Philippians 2. He says this. He was in the form of God Paul says look at who look at who Christ is he was equal with God but he didn't say that was too much for me to come to this earth to take on the form of a man but not just a man the form of a, a servant and i became obedient all the way to the point of death and we look That's what Christ did. That's what Paul wants to see formed in us. But how do we get there? How do we truly have the mind of Christ? We see what the mind of Christ did in Jesus's life, but how do we get the mind of Christ? And I'm saying, I think it's virtually going to be impossible for us to have the mind of Christ until we understand how the Father loves us the same way the Father loves us his son, Jesus. Because remember what Paul said? Hey, now that you know God, or, or should I say, now that you're known by God. You see, there's a big difference in us knowing God and in God knowing us. We have this limited view of who God is because we can only understand him as he's chosen to reveal himself through his word, maybe through nature. We see him as the creator, the giver of life. We read of him as being the the redeemer, a savior, the risen king. That's what we've seen. But the Bible says one day, one day, we will see him face to face and we will know who he truly is. And when we see him, we will fall before our faces. And, and, And if we could have sorrow and misery, which I don't believe we'll have in eternity, but we would say we're so sorry for ever living our lives for any reason other than for you, now that we truly see who you really are. When we see him in all of his glory, and we fully know him, we will fully love him. But here is what is absolutely amazing. He already sees all of you and me down to the core of our wicked, sinful, self serving hearts. How he knew we would live this last week or this last month or this last year for ourselves how he, we would seek our glory and our desires and our wishes and our wants and push his aside. He knew it all and yet he still sent his son in full love to come to this earth to live a perfect life so that he could be the atoning sacrifice for us on the cross. He did all of that. He
1: fully knew
0: us and he still fully loved us and said, oh. I want you to be my child. I want want you to be my son. I didn't send my son to redeem you, to be my slave. You're not off running around having to fulfill all these religious obligations. No, my son came so you would have a relationship with me. (laughs) When I think of people knowing me, I think no one knows me better than my wife, but that means she knows every single fault that I have. Well, she she knows every single fault that I've allowed her to see. There's still stuff she likely doesn't know about me, but she loves me, but it's not a perfect love. It's as close to perfect as we can know on this earth, but it is not a perfect love, but he knows even what she doesn't, and he perfectly loves me. So how then, once I understand I know you as much as I can, but it's even better to know you know me completely and fully and you still want me to be a part of your family. You you still want me to be your your son. You still want me to spend eternity with me. You're going to shower your new mercies on me every day. You're going to give me peace and my comfort. You're going to walk with me through the valleys of the shadow of death. You're going to provide your strength for me in every situation that I need and you're going to do that even though you know me? You're going to give me new mercies this morning even though I'm going to waste them?
1: Oh, you are so good.
0: It's one thing to know God. It's a whole other thing to know. He fully knows me. And yet he fully loves me. And you might be sitting there saying, God knows everybody. And that's true as a creator. But Jesus himself said in Matthew, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. He closes that little passage by saying, I will then declare to them, I, this is Jesus speaking, I never knew you. Oh, it's so important, church. Not only for us to know who God is, but for us to know that God knows us. And the only way the Father can know us in this intimate way is through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the way. And when we understand that we're fully known and yet fully loved by God, that's when true transformation begins. That's when we start to develop the mind of Christ that says, This is what I want to do, but I will yield it all to you. Anything you want, I will be obedient even to the point of the cross. So we have a choice. Are we going to live in slavery? Or, I, don't, I don't necessarily mean slavery to, to, to idol worshiping. I'm talking about, are we going to live in slavery to religion? Or are we going to understand we have complete freedom? He has brought us close and said, I'm your father and I know you. And we say, ah. Troy, I remember Remember the day I read something on social media and I sent it to you and forgive me I'm thinking off the top of my head but it said something like this There's two ways that a son can view his father one Oh no I'm in trouble I better not tell dad or Oh no I'm in trouble I better tell dad And I'm like I think I have been that first type of father for much of your life and I'm embarrassed and I'm ashamed and I want that, I want you to know that if you are ever in any trouble, I want the first person you think of is to be Dad. that's what God wants us to know don't hide from him when you're in trouble go to him because he already knows and he still fully loves you so we're going to close in, in just a time of prayer, but if I, if I can encourage you, and I, and I just put these up, I just want to read them. Take time this week to know all you can about God through His Word, through His Spirit, through His people. Get to know Him more. Know Him more. He knows you. Get to know Him more. Celebrate that you're fully known and fully loved by God and walk in your relationship as sons this week, not slaves. Hey, walk out of here today with your head held high, and no matter what your week is like, you're a Child of God. Your father knows you and loves you. And he couldn't know you more and he couldn't love you more. And that's good news. Could you pray with me? Father, we celebrate you. Oh, man, we just celebrate you. Whew. That you are willing to send your perfect son to make us sons. That you didn't save us and you didn't you didn't buy us off the off the block of redemption in order to tell us what we had to do. You you invited us into a relationship. You you bought us off the off the slavery block, not to become a slave, but to take us home and, and invite us into the into the house. That's that's what we're gonna get to sing in just a moment. Like I, I walked off the slavery block of sin, being freed and redeemed by the blood of Jesus and the father he takes his arm and you put your arms around me and you walk me home you don't walk me to the slave quarters you don't leave me outside you don't put me somewhere else and say and now for the rest of your life you're gonna do everything I say you open the front door And you say, hey, you were a slave to sin, but today you are a son of God. Man, but you did all that knowing, knowing who I was. And when I'm with you, then I'm home. I'm home. And there's freedom in your presence and there's joy in your presence because of who you are. And because of what you invite us into, I'm in my Father's house. I'm home. And that's what Paul desired for these people, and it's what you, Christ, desire for us to know. It's why you gave everything for us to have this relationship with the Father. Would you take just a few moments with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? I, how do you view God today? Is he a taskmaster, a slave master with great expectations or is he a loving father? You're trying to hide your imperfections from him. i am tell you, it's not gonna work. He already knows and the cool thing is he knows and he loves. Or we just cry out for forgiveness I'm so sorry And as soon as we do The relationship is sought to be restored But if you don't know this This God to be your father I don't leave today without knowing that I'll be at the back doors And I would love to talk with you a little bit more And share with you How Jesus has made you a son Redeemed you from slavery to make you a son. And hey, you're welcomed into the Father's house. That's where you'll be home. We love you. Lord, thank you for loving us so clearly in Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me? I would also be happy to pray with anybody if you would love, like me to pray with you. I'll just stand up here. I'll just, I'm here for you.
1: How lovely are your twelve? 12- Yo!